One night a man had a dream. In this dream he saw Jesus, our Lord and Savior, tied to a whipping post, while a soldier was scourging him unmercifully. Pieces of bone and metal that were attached to the end of the whipping cords tore into our Lord's flesh again and again and again. This was a typical Roman scourging, typically brutal Roman scourging. Mel Gibson portrayed it very well in his movie, The Passion of the Christ. Many people who experienced Roman scourgings died from them. Romans didn't have to crucify them, they were already dead from the scourging. This man watched in horror for several minutes. Finally, he couldn't take it any longer. As the soldier raised his arm for yet another strike, the dreamer rushed forward to try to stop him. At that moment, the soldier turned around quickly, and the dreamer let out a scream when he saw the man's face, because the soldier had his face. He was the soldier. Brothers and sisters, if you do not understand that story, then you will not understand today's story, the glorious Easter story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's because the only people who appreciate the gift are those who understand their need for the gift. The only people who appreciate deliverance from sin or from anything else is those who understand their need for deliverance. I remember reading a story once about the last days of the Second World War. At that time, the prisoners at Dachau heard a frightening rumor. They heard that Hitler had ordered the execution of all prisoners and the burning of all the concentration camps. And so when these frightened, exhausted, emaciated men and women heard tanks approaching the compound one particular day, they thought it was over. They prepared for death. They thought they were doomed until they saw the American flag painted on the front of the lead tank. They were being liberated, not exterminated. Can you imagine how grateful they were at that moment? In the midst of their intense suffering, they understood their need for deliverance. And they were elated when it finally came. The man who had the dream about the scourging of our Lord had a similar awareness of his need. The instant he saw that he was the soldier, he understood his need for deliverance. Deliverance from his personal sins, which were in part responsible for the sufferings that Jesus endured on Good Friday. All our sins were involved in that. In this regard, I find it significant, and we heard this a few moments ago in the Gospel, I find it significant that the very first person to whom Jesus Christ appeared on Easter Sunday was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Why was she the first? Why not Peter, James, John, one of the other apostles, our Lord's closest friends during his three years of ministry? Well, I'm convinced that Mary had this privilege because at the time she understood her need for Jesus more than anyone else did, except, of course, our Blessed Mother. The Bible tells us that during our Lord's ministry, Mary Magdalene had seven devils cast out of her, cast out by our Lord. Traditionally, she's also been associated with the prostitute who washed our Lord's feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. 
See, Jesus had delivered this woman and set her free from sin and from the forces of evil that were operative in her life and destroying her life. And she knew that she needed to keep Jesus in her life in order to stay delivered. By the way, if she were Catholic today, that means she'd be at Mass every Sunday. Probably every day. Consequently, because she recognized her need for Jesus, she remained faithful to him. When everybody else ran away, all the other apostles, only John came back at the end. So it was fitting that she would be the first one to see the risen Lord. It was not a coincidence. The glorious message of Easter is that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has won the decisive victory over sin and eternal death for Mary Magdalene and for each and every one of us. But the Lord did not force his victory on Mary, nor will he force his victory on any one of us. If we want to experience the fruits of his redemptive act, we've got to be like Mary Magdalene and come to Jesus, willing to admit our very great need for his mercy. Which means we have to be willing to confront our personal sins. And not just some of them, all of them. The sins of uncharity, the sins of unforgiveness, that's a big one for a lot of people. The sins of greed, the sins of materialism, the sins of impurity. Now this is a radical idea in our time, isn't it? A lot of people deny sin. Guilt is often looked upon these days as the worst thing in the world. Catholic guilt, you know. Let's be clear about it today. Guilt is not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is the denial of guilt. Because if we deny guilt for our sins, we cannot be forgiven by the Lord. And ultimately, we cannot enter heaven. I'll tell you quite honestly, it always amuses me when so-called experts say that all people need to do be psychologically happy and healthy is to stop feeling guilty about things. That is patently ridiculous. You know what they call people who don't feel guilty about anything? They're called psychopaths. Psychopaths are the most guilt-free people on the planet. They can kill a dozen people and think nothing of it. Just another day. If we want to experience the fruits of the resurrection of Jesus, then our attitude has to be like Mary Magdalene's, or like John Newton's after his conversion. I'm talking about the John Newton who wrote a hymn that we sing in church all the time. John Newton was born in the early 18th century. His mom dad died when he was seven. His father was a sea captain and a good Christian. But John Newton, like many young people, rebelled. He rejected the faith that his father tried to instill in him. Then from ages 17 to 23, he traveled the world and got himself into all kinds of trouble. He led a promiscuous lifestyle. He was sold as a slave. Then when he escaped, he, he himself became a slave trader. He went through a lot of difficult times. And nothing ever motivated him to change for the better. Till he almost died in a storm at sea. Then, like a lot of people who were desperate, he cried out to God. And he promised the Lord that if he came out of the storm alive, he'd reform. 
Now, unlike many others who make similar promises, Newton was true to his word. In fact, he eventually became a Methodist minister. And that's when he wrote the words of the hymn that almost every Christian knows, Amazing Grace. He wrote them out of his own experience of facing his sin and receiving new life in Jesus Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Recently I came across the words that Newton had inscribed on his tombstone at the time of his death. These were the words. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel in liberty, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. What strikes me about that, uh, that inscription is the honesty behind it. Newton was not afraid to admit, to admit to the world that he had been a scoundrel. That's because he understood the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the risen Christ, to wash away those sins of the past, those horrible sins of his past, and eventually bring him to heaven. Do we understand that power? That power that we have available to us in a special way in the beautiful sacrament of reconciliation. As Newton wrote in the song, Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, amazing grace will then prevail in heaven's joy and peace. I said at the beginning of my homily that the only people who appreciate the gift of new life that Jesus brings us by his resurrection are those who know how much they need the gift. Those who know their poverty, those who know their imperfections, those who know their sins, those who know their need, their personal need, for God's healing touch. People like John Newton, people like Mary Magdalene, and hopefully, people like us.